podcast this week, we have more Evil Dead chums and you can shake a boomstick at. There is Alyssa Sutherland, the star of Evil Dead Rise, and the legendary Sam Raimi, the guy who started it all back in 1981 with the Evil Dead, and then Evil Dead 2, and then Army of Darkness. All that and more on the movie podcast that lost its blue tick on Twitter <laughs> this week. But got nominated for an award. Hooray! Hooray! Hooray, hooray, hooray. We didn't get nominated for an award for losing our blue tick, by the way, because everybody we lost a blue tick. We, we were, were in good super company. Good at it. We lost it with grace and panache. And and no little dignity either mm-hmm. as well. I only cried for a solid 45 minutes. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast. This week we're recording it remotely on Friday morning, which means we've got to turn it around very, very quickly. <laughs> Why do I do this to myself? Uh, I do this to myself because I have the lurgy, as you can probably hear. Uh, and so we decided not to be in the same room together. And then the aircon went in our studio. So we definitely decided not to be in the same room together, lest we melt. So uh, here we are on Squadcast, joined by my two colleagues of such a lethal cunning, both of whom are completely nude. Great big fucking nerd, James Dyer. Hello. And geek queen, Helen O'Hara. Hello. How are you? I'm all right. I'm, I'm uh, determined to ignore the blue tick either way, I'll be honest. So you're, you're messing with my plan here. Shall we move on and tackle this week's listener question, folks? Oh, yes. Uh, this comes from Lucy Heseltine, Lucy J. Heseltine on Twitter. And she says, we're expecting our first baby in August. Aw. That's nice. Congratulations. Uh, what are the best film character names that we should consider? Tyler Rake. <laughs> Tyler Rake. I think that's the answer. I think it has to be like the ridiculous, the ridiculous action hero names. You know, incredibly boring first name followed by ridiculous surname. John Wick. Johnny Utah. Jonathan. Jonathan. Jonathan is the Jonathan's correct answer. A great show. Yeah, I think we've ruined this question already. Just. <laughs> Jonathan is the best one, isn't it? Jonathan is great. I remember actually when I watched um, Stardust for the first time, thinking to myself, you know, Septimus is a lovely name. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe Septimus. 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 Yeah, it's Mark Strong. Oh yes, of course, of course. I always had a problem in. Um, yeah, that's but you, you probably just want to name kids after Mark Strong, all Mark Strong characters, I mean, including that's pretty, that's pretty true. Yeah, his character in the Brothers Grimsby. <laughs> no, not that. No. One. No, you sure? That one. Very sure. Hundred percent positive. So, what was what was the what was the question asker's name? Were they like a Smith? Lucy Heseltine. Heseltine, as in as in Michael Heseltine. Okay. So so we're thinking like John Wick Heseltine, maybe or yeah, John Wick Heseltine or Tyler Rake Heseltine or Keith Dildo Heseltine or Michael Septimus maybe. Michael, Michael Heseltine. Yeah, Myers Heseltine. Michael Myers Heseltine. You got to go full name. You got to go full name. Uh, we'll get into Star Wars and the MCU in a second, but uh, uh, there is, of course, you know, you, you, you know. Here's a great one. Here's a great one. Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the North, general of the Felix Legions, and loyal servant to the true Emperor Marcus Aurelius, father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. Heseltine. I feel like it's a bit of a downer. <laughs> I mean, assembly would take ages, wouldn't it? <laughs> like, roll call would just take ages. <laughs> Maximus, no response. Maximus, no response. Teacher goes, oh, God. Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the north, General Felix Legions, and yeah. royal servant of the true Emperor Marcus Aurelius, father to murder son, husband to murder wife, and I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. 
present. Fuck's sake. You've got Daenerys Targaryen problems there. I feel also you'd have a nightmare in Starbucks every time you ordered a drink. Just like, and honestly, there's just not enough room on the cup. That's why you have to get a grande every single time. It'd be a venti. Is it a venti? I happen to know that somebody in this podcast once talked about how they'd like to have a child and call them Agamemnon. That's Um, a perfectly legitimate name, Helen. I stand by this. Imagine if you're play, playing at home going, gee, I wonder who it is. <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder who wanted to call their kid Agamemnon. Is it Chris or James? Chris or James? Chris or James? It has gravitas. Obviously, obviously, um, the cards fell in a slightly different way for myself and my wife, and we, we, we haven't had kids of our own. But if we had, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I had plans. I had plans. You know, I would Raimi. never have got away with Chewbacca. But oh. there would be, I would have tried my damnedest to smuggle Chewbacca in there somewhere. Maybe as a middle name, uh, you know, I have a terrible middle name, so perhaps you know that you know perhaps one of our kids could have had Chewbacca as a middle. Well, you would have to you'd have to go with like Chewatel or something, and then just shortened it to Chewy. Well, that's probably the closest you'd have got. Problem with that though, Jimbo, was then it would be Chewy Hewitt, and <laughs> you know, I you already say that had, like it's a bad thing. Well, I was blighted with the nickname Chewit by unimaginative pricks at school. Um, <laughs> So I, I don't think I would have I would have really really gone for that one. But I mean, Chewbacca nice would have been sweets. in there somewhere. They're very nice sweets. They are lovely, lovely sweets. Uh, Tato, there is a, there's a great Tato. name for a kid. <laughs> Boy or um, girl, it works for either. Yeah, but I genuinely uh, there was a point in my life where I was thinking, all right, if I ever have kids, if I ever have kids, Anfield, obviously, Carlito, <laughs> Carlito, no way, yeah, <laughs> Carlito. Uh, I was thinking at one point, Raimi. Raimi is a cute name for a girl, actually. As a as a name, yeah, there you go. But uh, you know, obviously, in uh, deference to my favorite director of all time, my beloved Pacetic Good Boy, Jimbo. Any more? Uh, what, you know, any any more members of the cast of Troy? <laughs> you would like to? I mean, all of them, really. Uh, I mean, Paris. Yeah, I, I, I mean, let's go north. Thor's quite a good name. Mm. Yeah. I know a Ragnar. Yes, you do. Ragnar's a great I, I name. A Ragnar. Has he been bathed in the living waters? Underneath the Civic Center on Mandalore? <laughs> I'm going to say yes, but I don't know for sure. Does the armorer have a canonical name? Or is it yes, just. It's, it's armorer, first name, the. Yeah, <laughs> okay, fine. It's Sally. So that, I wouldn't use that one. Sally Forth. That's her, that's her name. <laughs> uh, yeah. Pete. I don't, Pete Tongs. Pete Tongs. <laughs> it's all gone Pete Tongs for the Mandalorian this week. Um, all right, let's talk about Star Wars. Would you would you would you consider any Star Wars names apart from obviously Chewbacca? Look, if you have fraternal twins Luke, and they're yes. a boy and a girl, how are you not going for Luke and Leia? Like I don't, you know, the the op- the option is right there. Like, how are you resisting that option? I think it creates unrealistic expectations. I mean, apparently not, because he ended up fucking off to an island and just like milking cows for like years. That is true. And- and she was like a super bad mother who didn't do that good at seem a job it seems with the new republic. I don't know. I feel like that's okay. Would you would you take a leaf out of Ray's book and just appropriate the name Skywalker because apparently <laughs> that's just fair game. So would you go Skywalker? Skywalker Heseltine, for example, yeah, would be a great name. That that would be okay. I I often said that you know I I don't believe in women changing their name when they get married. I think it's ridiculous and outdated and um, not even that traditional anyway. It only goes back about one hundred and fifty years. But the one exception I would make would be if I if you did fall in love with a Skywalker or something, you would like you would have to think about it. You know, they'd be like, oh, that's that's pretty cool. I, I'd call a child Anakin just so when they're running around, like, and you, yeah, exactly. You go, Anakin, Anakin. 
Drop. <laughs> I mean, if we're talking about expectations placed on a child, that would seem to be much worse. Possibly, than Luke and yes. Leia. But also, if they were playing outside and you looked at the clouds and you, you saw some inclement weather coming in, you could go, "Storms coming up, Annie! Better get home quick." You could do that. That's you true. could do that. Yeah. Fantastic. Mm. Yeah. How about something? You know. Cade Bane or something, you know, something. Cad Bane, like, is it not Cad Bane? Bane. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Helen. Oh, I, look, I Helen. don't care about him. This is what you have to remember. So that is fair. That's because he's a Cad. He yeah, is. Cad Bane Heseltine. Just to bring it back to Lucy for a minute. Yes, Cad yeah. Bane Heseltine. Yeah, I'm not so sure about that. What about the MCU? Any any great names bouncing around the MCU? Would you call your kid Groot? Groot Heseltine. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, trips off the tongue certainly. Ronan the Heseltine. Ronan um, the Heseltine. <laughs> More people should have that in their names. They should have name. the, the as a middle mm. name. I did tell you guys that I got a press release from a publicist called Thanos, right? You uh, did. I don't yeah. know if it's a if it's a Scandinavian name or quite it's where it came Greek, from. I think. Is it Greek? Greek I believe, yeah. Thanos. Is, I was like, oh, that press release was inevitable. You're you're going to get this, aren't you? You're going to get this thing where names fall out of fashion as they mm. become less and less popular, and maybe they're not they're not popularized in, in movies. I had a very fun chat with Sam Neill recently for for the. Um, for a future issue of Empire Magazine. Uh, and we talked about how his name isn't Sam, it's Nigel. And mm. he hates the name Nigel, hates it with a passion. And he is delighted to see that it's actually fallen out of favour so much that, so that I think less than five people in the last roundup they did of, of kids' names, mm. less than five people in the whole of, of Britain called their kid Nigel. It's interesting. I do find it fascinating that the, 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 the styles of names. I have a, I know a couple of kids called Ezra, and I feel like there's been a, a sort of resurgence of like those kind of 19th century sort of names coming back. Elspeth. And I feel like Ethel's and Dora's and those kind of names are coming back as well. Ethel is Ethel yeah. coming back? I think I think those that era at least. I'm not sure Ethel's in particular. What about but Ethel that, Red. Ethel. Uh, that would be cool. I what actually think if you're going to go a- Anglo-Saxon, like, I mean, James is about to say Uttred any Uttred, second. Uttred, so, Uttred of <laughs> uh, You know, that's, I, I feel like going kind of a bit medieval on this job is is not a bad option. I, I quite like the medieval classical options. I think they're fun. I just, I just think like if you watch a lot of those, you know, if we're talking Saxons, if we're talking Last Kingdom, if we're going to go back to sort of Viking shows, I just think like the old Norse names are the best. Like if they say, oh, what's your name, Bob? What's your name? Sigurd Blood Hair. Like there's just something inherently impressive, I think, about that. But you could be Bob Blood Hair, you know. But you could you be could Bob Blood Hair, yes. What about, uh, what about Hans? Booby. <laughs> what about Hans? Would you go for Hans? No. So that's a no on Hans then. Uh, what about Gruber? Would you go for Gruber? As a girl's name or a boy's Just name? Just anything. I think Just Gruber anything. is one of those names It could be anything, right? I think I'd prefer it were nothing, but I okay. guess, sure, yeah. Nakatomi? That's a lovely name. Canute. Canute. No. <laughs> you know how that's going to go in the playground, and it's not going to be fun. <laughs> Oi, massive Canute, come over here. Yeah. yeah. That's a best case. <laughs> Beskar. Beskar. <gasps> Beskar. Beskar Hazel time. Be- yeah, Beskar has a time. Beskar Dyer. Yeah, I'm I'm all for that. I'm all for that. Who's your favorite movie character of all time? Right? Okay. So mine's Ash from Evil Dead. So Ash, that's fine. Ash mm. Hewitt, Ash O'Hara, Ash Dyer, Ash Heseltine. That's a good name. Solid name. Could be unisex name as well. Mm. I quite like Hildy, as in Hildy Johnson in His Girl Friday. Is that your favourite movie character of all time? She's up there. She's, She's pretty fantastic. There. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, otherwise, like Wesley from The Princess Bride, Buttercup, Inigo. Inigo would be a good name. 
What's that from? Oh, from um, Princess also Bride. Princess Bride, yeah. What about Dr. Peyton Westlake? Dr. Peyton Westlake, Heseltine. Yes. Hmm. Kenneth yeah. Noisewater. Yes, the Octagon. <laughs> uh, Proxima Midnight. That's great. I think we've done it. Ebony Moore. Yeah. Among his many skills, I'm saying Thanos had naming down. He was on point. Yeah, he was. He was. He absolutely was. Ebony Moore, Proxima Midnight, and the other two. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Cole- Cull Obsidian. Cull Obsidian. Obsidian. And, and then the little rat man that nobody remembers. He's <laughs> <laughs> the one who looks like a goblin. Corvus Glaive. Corvus Glaive. Glaive. Glaver. Bringing it back to ancient Rome here, you know, I'm just saying. That's the thing, right? Okay, so here's, I'm going to throw one more before we make me make a definitive pronouncement on this. Uh, there is Blade. Blade is available. Blade is out there. Blade is open. But mm. as is his real name, which as we all know, <laughs> is Eric. True. Would you <laughs> call your kid Eric? I, I think I think Blade or Proxima Midnight is, is, the, is the choice. But then could you not go fancy and just take a name like Eric and just be like, it's Eric, and just drop in an apostrophe <laughs> like they did with Alan in Wheel of Time. There's nothing wrong Alan, with apostrophe. And then Apostrophes you could just go Eric, Eric. Or a silent Q. That's always fun. Okay, we're talking about first names here, all right? But we haven't explored code names and code numbers to come after the surname. So what if it was just like a simple name, like Gary, right? Yeah. Gary Heseltine, right? But what if it was Gary Heseltine 007? And what if, what if you went to Whole Hog and actually went in Fleming's Gary Heseltine <laughs> 007? Okay, and then what good. if you went to Whole Whole Hog and went, what's your name? My name is Daniel Craig, as Ian Fleming's Gary Heseltine 007. And then what if you went the whole, whole, whole oh hog, oh and no. went, my name is Daniel Craig, as Ian Fleming's Gary Heseltine 007 in No Time to Die. I feel, I feel like I, it's I got like quite complicated. Yeah, I think- you're losing, you're, you're running out of boxes on the, <laughs> yeah. on, the, on the forms that you have to fill in. I, th- I think if you want to go designations, the Borg have this on point. So it would be Gary Hazeltine's tertiary adjunct of Unimatrix 01 or something like that. <laughs> Gary, Gary of nine. seven of nine. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think that, that would work for me. I think Helen is right. If it's a, if it's a, a girl, Proxima Midnight, Hazeltine. Right. Yeah. If it's a boy, that sounds like a bedtime, though, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> if it's a boy, Jonathan, <laughs> Jonathan Heseltine. But you have to say it like that every single time. That is less unwieldy than Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies for the North, general of the Felix Legions, and loyal servant oh, to the true Emperor Marcus Aurelius, father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. If you want to have your question read out in the Emperor Podcast, we may wow. be stripped of our blue ticks, but you can still slide into my DMs. No nudes. No nudes. And you can send me a question that way, or you can reply to any of my tweets. Uh, if you can see them, of course, that is. You may not be able to see them anymore because of the algorithm. Yeah. Deploy algorithm. Uh, or you can wait for a panicked shout-out every now and again. Shall we have a guest? Yeah. Why not? Uh, let's have a guest from Evil Dead Rise, shall we? Rise. James, you disappoint me that you didn't do it. Right. There, there goes go. today. Much Sorry. Better. Yeah. It's early morning in fairness. Vocal that, fry, that's called. When you do that with your voice. That's a great name for a kid. It is, isn't it? Vocal fry. Stephen's kid. Uh right. So who do you want? Do you want Alyssa Sutherland, the star of Evil Dead Rise, or do you want the do you want the man himself, my beloved possessive good boy, Sam? Who do you Let's want? Let's start with Alyssa. 
Let's start with Alyssa Sutherland. So, Evil Dead Rise, in case you don't know what it is, it's the fifth Evil Dead movie, uh, and it is written and directed by Lee Cronin, and it is absolutely fantastic. Spoiler alert for the, for the for the review section later on. It is brilliant. It is my second favourite Evil Dead movie, folks, and uh, praise doesn't come much higher than that. And uh, it stars Alyssa Sutherland and Lily Sullivan as two sisters who find themselves besieged by deadites in their LA apartment building. And, you know, it's been fairly out there in the marketing that uh, Alyssa Sutherland's character, Ellie, who is the mother of three kids, is possessed by the evil. And in a very, very truly terrifying way, she becomes the main deadite that plagues the rest of the family throughout this very gnarly, very gory, very fucked up horror movie. Uh, Alyssa Sutherland, of course, James, you will have known her from Vikings. Indeed. Where she played... Someone? Who does she play? Tell me the name of the character and I know who it is. Well, yes, that, that's how names work, you see, yes. James. <laughs> <laughs> well, while we're back on names, I have to say, like when we were looking up the names of Thanos' children, I have found out that both Gamora and Nebula have first names. It is Zehoberai Gamora and Lufamoid Nebula. This is absolutely true. Lufa! Lufa! Oh, well, this changes everything. <laughs> Lufamoid! No wonder they're so angry. That is. That's the reason. Oh my god, I'd be mm. furious if my name was... What the fuck was it? <laughs> Zahoberai Gamora and Lufamoid Nebula. Jesus it feels like the kind Christ. of name that Phoebe might have changed her name to in Friends. Yes. <laughs> By the way, Regina Falange is an amazing name. <laughs> That's Princess true. Consuela Banana Hammock is also yes. a good name. <laughs> Crapbag is also a good name. <laughs> um, uh, Alyssa Sutherland was Queen Aslaug. Oh, Ashlaug, yes. She supplanted Lagatha by the side of Ragnar Lothbrok on the uh, the throne of uh, Kattegat. And they were allied with Jonathan? <laughs> they were allied with Jonathan, yes. <laughs> Jonathan! See, this is why I did this interview and not James. Otherwise, Because <laughs> I'd have just listed off all the Viking names, it's true. Yeah. Anyway, Lisa Sutherland, I had a blast talking to her. She is Australian. She's from Brisbane. Uh, Brisbane? No one ever says that. She's from Brisbane. She's from Brisbane in Australia. And she's terrific in this film. Really, really, really mm. terrifying and truly scary. Thankfully, she was neither of those things when I talked to her last night on Zoom. So here is that interview. Do please enjoy. We are delighted to be joined on the Empire Podcast by the star of Evil Dead Rise, Alyssa Sutherland. How are you? Hey, Chris. I'm good. How are you? I'm not too bad. Not too bad at all. It, it, is, it is so weird. After I've seen this one a number of times. Uh, it is so weird to hear your real accent. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, I've, I've never actually worked in my natural accent. I've never been Australian for a character. Would that, would that be difficult to do? Do you think, or would it come naturally? Would you would you almost think yourself um, out of the accent? I'd love to do it. No, I would love to do it. There's some. There's always like a feeling like you you're in a character when you have an accent. But to be able to just let loose fully, kind of as myself, would be great. Yeah. I don't know. I think if if you said the line "Mommy's with the maggots now" with your real accent, <laughs> I, I'd feel I'd feel reassured and calm. Uh, everything, everything is going to be all right. Really? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I should I should probably do it thicker. Mummy's with the maggots now. <laughs> <laughs> less, less reassured then. And again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's just weird. <laughs> that time it was pure terror. Pure terror, uh, I have to say. But uh but yes, congratulations on the film. I mean you must be it opens this weekend. It's been a it's been a fairly long journey to get here, but uh people are raving yeah. about the film and rightly so. So you must be you must be fairly Excited about what's what's about to unfurl? 
Yeah, I am. I'm pretty chuffed. Uh, I'm not going to lie. It's a definite bucket list moment. You know, this this career is a tough one. There are high highs, there are low lows. Um, and I know right now I'm riding one of the highs, so I'm just soaking it up and super grateful. And yeah, I, pinch me, you know. <laughs> what does that mean for you from from your you know from your point of view personally are you are you taking more meetings is it, is it having that sort of impact on on things or or yeah it's interesting um it's it's very interesting it, there's certainly um bigger interest uh <laughs> and i like i temper it you know because i've i've also really struggled and had people not interested and i know that a lot of it um, you, it's great to be in projects that have success and, and people want to know that you can carry a film. Um, but at the same time, I feel like I've been around. I've, I've, I feel confident in my talent. I know that not every role is right for me, but I don't think I've, um, changed all that much as an actress in the last, like, however long I think, um, once I was wrapped on Vikings, Vikings, I learned a lot on. And I, I think I really sort of grew and found confidence as an actress um, on set on Vikings. Um, and just like more than anything else, learned to trust myself. So I feel like the added interest is <laughs> like, it's kind of like high school sometimes and you feel like, okay, you like me now because this thing happened. And um, I don't know. I, I'm always afraid of having high expectations because it can be a long way to fall. Um, we'll, we'll see. I would love for this to really lead to other bigger things and ride that wave. Absolutely. I hope, I hope that happens as well uh, because you are, not to put too fine a point on it, terrifying in this film, <laughs> uh, which is, I mean, the, the physicality. I want, I really wanted to talk about the physicality you bring to Ellie. Uh, yeah. Spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen Evil Dead Rise. Uh, Ellie undergoes something of a transformation, let me say. <laughs> <laughs> and once that happens, yeah, there's there's a little bit, there's a little aspect of you can see the real Ellie beginning to trying to peek through. But there's also a moment, and again, I don't want to give too much away, where that is completely extinguished. And what we're seeing is is evil dead Ellie, as dead-eyed Ellie. And yeah. everything changes about your performance from that point on. Um, how much how much work, how much prep did you go into that and did go into the physicality, the way she moves, the way she moves her body, the way she moves her feet, even changes completely? Yeah, um, I did a lot of prep. I, yeah, I, I went all over the place with it. I sort of, I was... Very excited that Lee was interested in me for the role um, because I just don't think we see characters like Ellie on screen that much at all. Um, and I, I would like to think that she's sort of breaking new ground for what for how psychotic women can be on film. I, I love that she's fully unhinged and deranged um, and it was so much fun to play as an actress and I, I really wanted to do that. Um, and when, when the role came my way, I, uh, I wanted to squeeze all the juice out of it that I could. So I worked really hard and did a lot of prep. I, I watched a lot of films to watch sort of classic villains and monsters, not necessarily just from the horror genre, but those iconic performances, mostly because I didn't want to subconsciously recreate something that I'd already seen, because I think that can filter into your psyche. 
I I watched some weird things and references. It's out there now that I used Jim Carrey in the mask as a as as some inspiration. Um I, I'd rather laugh than Jim Carrey and Ace Ventura. <laughs> yeah, 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 I I can see where you're coming from. Or, or Ace Ventura when nature calls when he has to crawl out of the back of a a, a fake rhino. Nobody oh wants that. Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that would have been yeah, not not super appropriate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it might work in an Evil Dead movie. I don't know. I don't know. It, you know what? That's one of the things I love about Evil Dead is that you never know what you're going to get. I mean, Army of Darkness, you know, it could go any which way. It's a hell of a thing. I mean, I, I read an interview with you where you said that, uh, you know, pretty much every day you were going to work going, okay, what am I doing today? What, what's, mm-hmm. what's, what's happening today? What, what's, what, what hellish things am I going to, you know, to do today? And yeah, that obviously applies in terms of the things that Ellie does. But you know, these roles when you're when you're possessed, you get to say some pretty choice lines of dialogue as well. Yeah, which, yeah. which must be an interesting thing to get your teeth into. Yeah, it's re- it's really fun for me specifically because I'm I'm really quite buttoned up as a human. I'm um, extremely respectful of people around me. I never ever want to say anything. Um, that's even mildly abusive to someone. Um, so it's a very different end of the spectrum for me to be playing in. And so much fun because I don't I don't get that in real life. And rightly so. I, I don't think we should be saying things like that to people in real life, but to be able to play in that playground and and it in a sense be like a safe space to be saying things like that because we all know it's pretend. Um yeah. It was great. It was so much fun and very liberating. Um, and yeah, I I discovered I have a lot of unexpressed rage. I've definitely been a people pleaser in my life and have sacrificed myself to keep other people comfortable. And that doesn't just roll off your back. Those feelings kind of get squashed down somewhere, I think, when you've lived like that. And um so I, I had a lot to tap into, and I would think that there are probably a lot of women out there that can relate to to that. Was that uh, an unexpected side effect of of this role that you got to delve deep into yourself and actually got to confront those those parts of yourself that you didn't even know existed? <laughs> oh, I think I knew they were there. <laughs> oh, you knew they were there. Okay. Yeah, I think I think I knew they were there. I'm I, I'm I'm fairly self aware as a human. I I knew what I could tap into, but it was um, it did end up being like quite therapeutic. It's almost like it's how I imagine those rooms that you can go into with a baseball bat and just like hit things and demolish stuff. It it felt a little bit like that. Um, yeah, I had a dream um, in character as Ellie, and I killed someone with my bare hands. Um, Jesus. and I sort of woke up for a moment and went, well, that was interesting. Um, but yeah, just someone from my past and it was actually very therapeutic. Um, yeah. Cause you don't do that in real life. Um, somebody, yeah. <laughs> that, however you will. That's I all. Mean, <laughs> is that somebody, someone that you would want to kill in real life or was this somebody that you don't want no, to kill? No, not at all. Life? Let me be very real. I don't ever want to kill anyone. Um, I would I I see it more as a metaphorical like you don't need to be here anymore in my head in my brain space you can leave now I, uh, I think 
more like that. Wow, blimey. This is all stuff I might, I bet you didn't think would happen when you took this role on. I did not think I would have dreams like that, but I often do. I often dream in character when I'm on a job. I didn't quite think that part of it through when I took on the role of Ellie. Yeah. Is that something that started right away when you started acting or is is that something that's developed over the years? Yeah, it started from Vikings. I would have dreams as, as Al Slog, for sure. Wow. I'm fascinated <laughs> yeah. by that. I am fa- <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's never, it doesn't like affect me though. It doesn't stay with me. Sometimes it gives me more insight into the character. Like I'm not mad about it. That's incredible. All yeah. I dream about is hotels filled with snakes is that i don't know should we analyze that so do i mate yeah i dream about snakes as well it's no good (laughs) well you're australian (laughs) it comes to the territory exactly and they will really kill you there as well if you get bitten by a snake in australia like good luck get yourself to a hospital quick smart yeah 10 deadliest land snakes in the world all live in australia um so do they though? Because there's the black member in Africa, but I, we should probably save that for another conversation. Because I go deep with snakes, I know, I like to know what I'm dealing with. I saw a documentary once that said the ten deadliest land snakes all live in a, uh, all live in Australia. But how true that? I don't know. It might have been. I it might have been it a Steve Irwin thing. Who knows? Twelve. Top ten of the. Okay, let's do that. Ten of the top twelve, and then the black mamba yeah, gets. Okay, extra but points. you know what? We're both probably wrong on this, and, and people are going to write in. There's and... some snake experts at home going, "What the fuck are they talking about? This is outrageous." Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I tuned in for an Evil Dead conversation. They're talking about snakes, and they're not even getting it right. <laughs> yeah. Snakes and dreams. What is this? <laughs> unbelievable, unbelievable. Uh, but anyway, so let's get back to Evil Dead Rise. Yeah, and, and okay. Obviously, films aren't shot chronologically. Did you ever have to do that whiplash thing where one day you're normal Ellie, the next day you're dead-eyed Ellie, and then back to normal again? Or, Well, you say films aren't shot chronologically. However, ah. we do shoot Evil Dead Rise chronologically. There you go. That's yeah, nice. because they purpose-built the set for us, um, and everything in, was in the one studio space in New Zealand. So we did shoot it chronologically which was like, oh my God, what a dream. It's what you want for every job. I can imagine. Yeah, I can imagine that helps. Yeah, yeah it does. It really does. Um, because it's it's always, it becomes more and more effortless the more you live in a character and you have experiences as them. Um, like by season four of Vikings, I felt like the prep that I did was so minimal because I had all of this experience living as her. It's just in you. It becomes a part of you in a way that you don't have to sort of muscle in there like you do in the beginning. Um, so it it does really help. Um, it's nice to know where you've been um, and have that feeling when you step onto set. That fascinates me, the idea that literally the first time we then see you as dead-eyed possessed Ellie in the film is that wonderful shot where you're in the background, the door swings open up the apartment and she's there and she kind of staggers, stumbles into the apartment. And that was the first time then you were, you were that character. Do you remember, do you remember what that was like? That, that sort of, that switch? Uh, I don't really remember what it was like. And I'd done so much prep for movement in Deadite that that was, it wasn't the first time I was doing that. It was just the first time it was on camera. Um, So I'd already 
done a lot. I had a playlist that I'd put together and I would move around my hotel room um, to this angsty playlist. Um, And I did a lot of rehearsals with the stunt team as well, not just on the stunts that I had to do and the choreography of everything, but also just like some movement um, stuff. I watched dance videos. I found a great dance video that I sent to Lee very early on. And I was like, I just love the feeling of this. And he seemed to like that too. So we, um, yeah, there, there were many, many, many hours of moving around as dead eye Ellie before that happened. I'd like to go in a second, but, uh, I just wanted to ask about, there's a, there's a moment, uh, I haven't spoken to Lee about this. There's a moment when Ellie is kind of locked outside the apartment and we see a lot of her banging on the door and trying to get in. And we, we look through the spy hole at her and her glee at times, the sort of the cackly, maniacal glee that she takes when she's outside that the, the apartment reminded me a, a little bit of Cheryl from the first movie. Now, I don't know if you went back and watched the first movie and took cues from that. That's funny. I, I did watch it, but I watched it before we were filming and uh, I did not revisit it. So I don't, I, it's hard to answer your question. Did it infiltrate my performance because I'd seen it potentially? Um, it wasn't a conscious thing. Um, I know it was written in the script. I mean, I, I forget the exact things that were written in the script about that moment. Um, but yeah, it wasn't a conscious thing, but I wouldn't say that it was completely uninformed because I had watched the first one. And then just very, very quickly, talking about the first one, uh, Sam, Sam Raimi is also on this week's podcast. I had the pleasure of talking to him last night. Now, I know he wasn't on set because of COVID protocols and, and whatnot. Yeah. You guys were shooting down in New Zealand as well. Uh, yeah. But have you since had a Sam Raimi experience? And if so, what was it like? Yeah, we were all um, at South by Southwest together. Um, It was great. I got to finally meet him and Bruce. um, And they're just like the OGs, you know. I have so much respect for what they did. Um, Like the grassroots of it all and the, you know what, we're just going to put a movie together and do it and make it for ourselves. Um, I, I love that kind of tenacity. Um, and certainly like he's such a pioneer with some of the camera angles and camera movements and everything like, um, yeah, deep respect for Sam and everything that he's done. And he was so lovely and complimentary and, and easy and very comfortable to hang out with. Um, yeah, again, like it's another pinch me moment, you know, he's a lovely guy. And, uh, yeah, very. the last thing I, I've got to ask about the playlist. What what songs were on the playlist that you were putting together? Uh, it's it, I mean, it was lengthy, but um, the songs that I remember mostly, there are a couple of songs from Mezzanine by Massive Attack. And there was oh, yeah. one in particular that I I would, um, it, that really kind of got me in my gut. It, it, you know what? Okay. I've been, I've probably been misquoting it. So I'm going to, I'm going to pull it up for you. The phone is out. Spotify's <laughs> coming out. Um it is a piece of a song. It is called Rev 2220. It is the 420 mix. Right. That's that. It's a bit on the nose if you're listening to the lyrics, um, but there's just something about it. There's a, a few other things on there and some uh, <laughs> some musicians that I won't mention because they've been up to no good and it's come out that they weren't, so I won't give them any press. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, yeah. Fair enough. 
Fair enough. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, well, Alyssa, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. I'm, I'm going to let you go, but uh, thanks uh -huh. so much. Thank you very much. Thanks, Anna, Chris. I hope you have no dreams tonight in which you, uh, you kill someone. Hey, but if it happens, that's okay as well. If it happens, it happens. Yeah. <laughs> and if you happen to dream about the 10 deadliest snakes in the world, then so be it. Oh, I don't want a snake dream. I'd rather I'd rather be the person in the powerful position in my dreams rather than having the snake dream. I hate them. Yeah, same here. Same here. Okay, wish you all the best. <laughs> okay. Thanks a lot. What a, what a strange okay. note to end. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that was Alyssa Sutherland and Sam LeMann is yet to come. So hang tight, Evil Dead fans. Hang tight. Uh, should we talk about this week's movie news? Yeah, let's. Why has there been any movie news? Well, there's been Section 31 news. That That is news that, that frankly, is news. I banged on about on Pilot as well. But let's do it here too, because it is technically a film. So they talked about this for a while, that uh, Michelle Yeoh, Oscar winner Michelle Yeoh, who played uh, Philippa Georgiou in Star Trek Discovery, and also the Emperor of the Terran Empire in the Mirror Universe, uh, she was an excellent character in Discovery. And there was long talk that she was going to get a spin-off show, which was based around Section 31, which is kind of like Starfleet Special Secret Service Intelligence. And uh, it never really came to fruition, but now it is going to come to fruition in a kind of film which is going to be direct to Paramount Plus. So call it a film, call it a one off dramatic special event, call it what you like, but it's going to be a single installment and it's going to come to Paramount Plus. And I, for one, am very psyched about that mm. because she's a great character. And even if Discovery has gone a little bit off the boil, I still got time for the Emperor. Yeah, she's she's freaking fantastic. And, you know, she's also Michelle Yeoh, and the, the combination of the two instantly makes this. Yeah. Interesting. I, I don't love the whole concept of Section 31. I like my Federation a little bit less <laughs> evil than they have sometimes <laughs> been. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's an interesting direction, I guess, to take the franchise in. So fingers and crossed. And she's just inherently funny because she's a massive sociopath. She is, yeah, yeah. And does not understand why anyone would do anything for anyone No, else. she's fabulous. <laughs> James, for some reason, globs onto this character. I, I don't know why, but there it is. In many ways, the true hero of the Star Trek universe. Uh, yes, Emperor, Emperor Giorgio. Always an interesting flex, isn't it, to see what people do after winning an Oscar? Mm. You know, Star Trek, obviously, is the answer. It is, the, it is the only correct answer. Yeah. The only answer James will accept is to do a Star Trek. Uh, yeah. I can't imagine that it's happened much where people have won an Oscar and then immediately gone, I want to do more Star Trek. Uh, and I'm sure she will be doing lots more stuff. More mm. stuff will be coming her way. But this is interesting. Also kind of tangential to TV is that Juno Temple has joined Venom 3. Juno Temple, who was in my face, not literally, last night as I was watching the latest Ted Lasso, which was over an hour long. They are really pushing the boundaries on that show. Mm. Uh, but uh, they went to Amsterdam on a field trip. It was but, a good episode, um, that, I thought. It, it was fun. Yeah, I liked it. I liked it a lot. Uh, but yeah, Juno Temple is going to be in Venom 3, where presumably she will sit in a tank of lobsters. I think she's a probably a good fit actually for that franchise what for the she, tank of lobsters not not for the tank of lobsters i mean although she would fit i mean it was it was a large tank and she's a small person she could True. absolutely get in the tank if that's if that's a condition of the role but i just feel like she is kind of very good at that kind of quirky oddball humor mm. and and also as you know ted lasso has shown basically good at all humor and i feel like she'd be a really interesting fit for that weird ass franchise this is not the first superhero movie in which Juno Temple will have appeared alongside Tom Hardy. Can you name the other one? Um, is, oh, is it The Dark Knight Rises? It is The Dark Knight Rises. Oh, yeah. I probably shouldn't have just said superhero movie because that really, really narrowed it, <laughs> it down. It did, yes. Damn it. <laughs> I've lost my quiz master skills. Mm. Uh, dulled by whatever the fuck I have. I don't think it's COVID, but it might be. 
Also this week, they announced that Pixar's Elemental will be closing Cannes. Good to see that they, you know, they think it's kind of up there with some of the some of the best Pixar's have been at Cannes in the past. Um, you know, things like Inside Out, and, yeah, yeah, Up and Soul as well. So, fingers crossed that's a good sign for Elemental. Was Soul at the uh, Was Soul at the Cannes Film Festival? Apparently so. Wow, yeah, that was like months before it came months out. Months before it came out, yeah. That's interesting. There was a really pointed uh, press release from Pete Doctor saying that we're delighted to show this on the big screen. You know where it belongs. Hmm. You know after <laughs> after some of the last few Pixar movies have been hmm. taken and used as as bait to get people to, sub- to subscribe to Disney Plus. Speaking of Disney Plus, there's been Disney Plus news. So since uh, No Way Home, kind of brought the previous spider films into the mcu kind of tangentially speaking they are now coming to disney plus so the sam raimi spider-man films amazing spider-man will be on disney possibly by the end of this month so it's all coming together all the Mm. strands are tied together you can explore the entire verse in one place should we should we get around should we come around mine and have a big old amazing spider-man and amazing spider-man 2 viewing party no i didn't think so i am busy that day it's such a shame Oh, yeah. Because, um, yeah. uh, but I'll probably be busy uh, watching the Fast X, Fast Ten trailer on a loop because I Maximum just, Momoa. It's it's I don't uh, even by the standards of the Fast franchise. What the hell is going on? Yeah, seriously, can I can I ask a question? Do you think that I could rock a kind of silk heliotrope shirt and matching heliotrope nail polish? Because Momoa does it. Momoa does it. Yeah, but he has Momoa power. He does. And, and with the best will in the world, James. <laughs> I don't. I mean, he wore a pink velvet suit to the Oscars with a velvet scrunchie to keep his hair out of his face at the after parties. You know, not everybody can do that. Uh, obviously, you literally can't do the I scrunchie part. I literally can't work the scrunchie. It's a whole like, lifestyle thing. I, I don't know how you get those powers. I think it involves a lot of surfing, a lot of rock climbing. Um, and a lot of calling people man. So can we explain what this, tra- this trailer is for people who may not have seen it, including myself, because I'm actively choosing not to see it because I don't want to... Uh, I, I know, I know it, may, it may be a movie that comes pre-spoiled, but... Uh, well, there are spoilers I, all over the place. We're on the back of the yeah. cars. Hey. hey. Uh, I don't want to see this trailer. So I'm not going to see this trailer. But for the people who haven't seen the trailer, just tell me about it. Tell them and tell uh, them about th- it. This fact. appears to have um, uh, the, the son of the drug kingpin... Reyes in Fast Five coming back for revenge. And the way he chooses to take revenge is by going after Dominic Toretto's son. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this, but Dominic Toretto's son is a member of his family and he <laughs> takes family quite seriously. Ah. So basically, it will be two men who take family seriously out to take each other down. But because they're both the size of mountains, they will do this via the medium of loads and loads of stupid explosions. Um, I didn't really think it was going to be possible to to make something dumber than the last few fast movies, but genuinely, this this trailer makes me think that they've they've managed it, guys. So I'm I'm super excited for it. Yeah, I hear I hear there's some crazy stuff in it, but uh, but no, I'm I'm trying to keep myself pure and uh, unspoiled before I go see it in cinemas. Anything else? Were there any more trailers this week? Anything else that you wanted yeah, to talk about? Yeah, there was a trailer about? for Insidious the Red Door. So, yes, um, they at least are I did watch. Back, back. What did you think? Uh, it looks good. I mean, this, this is interesting. So this is the fifth and purportedly final Insidious movie, and this is actually directed by Patrick Wilson, who's making his directorial debut on this. I mean, I'll be honest, I didn't love Insidious 3 and 4, but Insidious 1 and 2 are terrific. It's just absolutely barmy and some amazing jump scares and... They go very, 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 very dilally, very, very quickly, uh, which I love. And so this one kind of 
continues the story. So we have Patrick Wilson back as Josh Lambert, who, you know, has tried to shut out his connection to the further, which is a super spooky, supernatural place where all the demons hang out. And, uh, but his young son, Dalton, who, you know, I simply refuse to accept Ty Simpkins growing up. I just refuse to accept it. Uh, which is why none of us recognized him when he rocked up at the end of, it, uh, of of Endgame, of course. But this focuses on him. So Dalton is now older, he's at college, and he's beginning to have visions. But he seems to have had all memory of the previous supernatural events, you know, submerged, and then they're beginning to come through. So it looks looks pretty spooky and, and cool, and let's hope that, uh, that James Wan rubbed off on Patrick Wilson. Not like that. Not in the sex way. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, hmm. um, speaking of not in a sex way. Godzilla X Kong colon the new empire is coming. I think there's going to be lots of rubbing off in this. I in think it's going way. to be in a sex way. I think this wow. is going to be full on Titan fucking. This is going to be this is going to be huge. I mean, well, it will be huge. I think we can we can definitely like that's that's a guarantee. Um, we we know that it's apparently going to delve into the history of these titans. So who knows? Maybe it'll be literally mummy titan and daddy titan getting together, but it will look at their origins and the mysteries of Skull Island and beyond, and uncovering a mythic battle that helped forge these extraordinary beings, oh, whatever. Uh, but there's also, of course, an, a new undiscovered threat uh, hidden in the deeps that's coming for us all. Some people think that the, the threat is in the teaser trailer, in which yeah. you, you see a whole bunch of what looks like Titan bones, and they think that they're the, there's a, there's a, a sort there. of super Kong yeah, like a very, very thin. Is version that what of that Kong. is? Yeah, less it looked like it looked it like a cross between the the weird, very limb heavy creatures in Kong Skull Island, but with fur. So yes. I'm confused by that. Interesting. So yeah, this may be. So it's 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 called Godzilla X Kong, which I I I don't like that naming mechanic. I just oh, don't like it. It's a Zuma thing, isn't it? It's a, it's all about the collabs. Yeah, it's a collab. It's a collab. Get X to fuck. If it's, uh, if it's Godzilla X Kong, then presumably they're just releasing a single. You would think, you would think, right? Or they're multiplying, which is what I <laughs> yeah. always take that X to mean. It's or maybe sum. it's a shoe line, you know? Maybe it is a shoe line. It could be a very limited edition range of really giant shoes. Very big trainers, yeah. <laughs> yeah, huge, huge trainers. Kong does look uh, like a sneakerhead. He does, doesn't he? Yeah, I, I don't know about this one, uh, but this is obviously directed by Adam Wingard again, and I enjoyed the last one, so mm. fingers crossed for this one. And obviously Dan Stevens is in it, so maybe they hack his Twitter account and try <laughs> yeah. and flog MacBooks. Everyone, yeah, everyone who goes to see the film gets a free MacBook Pro. That's, a free uh, MacBook Pro. So generous of Dan Stevens the last few <laughs> days to just sell all those MacBooks. Yeah. Uh, how, how the mighty have fallen. And of course he was hacked, and then he left Twitter uh, in a rather triumphant fashion yesterday. <laughs> yes, he did. Uh, when, he, when he finally got control of his... Of his account back. Which apparently so, took 10 days. So took 10 days. There are no files to put out on Twitter, quite clearly. <laughs> yeah, he had to beat off a lot of American men to uh, to get through to the person at yeah. Twitter responsible for letting him back into his account. Uh, anyway, one film we haven't really talked about much on the podcast, I think the couple of times we have talked about it, I've had to cut it out for, for time purposes, uh, is Twisters. Twister. Mm. So, you, you have, have a twin, a twin twister. twister. Twisters, never wear the such devoted <laughs> twisters. Obi-Wan was wise to hide her from me. Yeah. Uh, so, Twisters. Well, there's going to be no actors in this one because the Twisters are doing it for themselves. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> that is good. Uh, so, Twisters is a sequel to Twister, which 
it came out in 1996, Yann de Bont's movie with Bill Paxton, uh, you know, the, the late great Bill Paxton and Helen Hunt and Carrie Elwes. And uh, I think it's terrible, but a lot of people love I it. Love and, it. I love uh, it. But it was one of those early, oh, this is what computer graphics look like films. Flying yes. cows. <laughs> flying cows. That's what yes. CG was invented for. Flying cows. I just quite like the love story as well. I thought they were fun together. Yeah. Were they when now? a man and a twister yeah. love each other very much. Yeah. I mean, the love story between the, the twisters or between sure, Hunt and but Bill and also Bill Paxton, between Hunt and Paxton. And it's also an no incredibly chemistry. well cast movie. Like, right. down to really Seymour Hoffman. Philip Seymour Hoffman, yeah. 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 Uh, terrible, terrible, terrible film. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> Twisters, hopefully will be good. Uh, it's going to be directed by Lee Isaac Chung, the director of Meanery, uh, who has also dabbled in some Mandalorian. And I think he's one of the directors uh, who's been announced for Skeleton Crew. Is that, isn't that mm-hmm. correct? This uh, It's one of the few things we didn't talk about in last week's Star Wars Celebration of Palooza section, where we... Uh, we talked about everything but Skeleton Crew and the incredible lineup of directors for that, which is basically like A24's Wet Dream. So it was like people like David Lowry and Lee Isaac Chung, and you know, it's like this incredible cavalcade of art house talent coming together to do this Star Wars show about a bunch of kids. It's really interesting. Anyway, he's directing Twisters, which seems like an interesting flex. And the cast is being added to with each and every passing day. Daisy Edgar Jones, Glenn Powell's. This is like his first proper big post Top Gun Maverick, you know, one of the world's biggest movie stars in waiting. Just get on it, cast him in things immediately. He's amazing. Uh, He's in it as well. And Anthony Ramos. Anthony Ramos is in talks to join them. Mm hmm. This will be following on from his role in uh, Mm. Transformers. Beast Wars or Rise Rise of the Beast. Beast? But yeah, based on Beast Wars. Mm, Yeah, Yeah. where he gets to fight giant robot gorillas. Yeah, so at least he has has CG experience at this point. He does. He does. And uh, I really liked him. I saw The Bad Guys last week, which I missed Mm. when it came out in cinemas. And it's really good. It's really good. It's one of those movies that deserve to do the money that Super Mario Brothers is doing. (laughs) Because this was pitched as a kid's Tarantino movie. Yes, and I can see why it didn't do well. <laughs> but, uh, but it's really good, and he's really funny in it as Piranha. But anyway, I think that's pretty much it. And this was something huge we've missed, but we've given Hollywood as much time as we have probably ever given them. Oh, here's a good one. Maud versus Maud. Yes. Oh, boy. Yeah. Angelina Jolie and Halle Berry, who is hilariously um, refusing to pay the $8 a month for Twitter Blue on Twitter. <laughs> and she's being very, very funny about it. Uh, Angelina Jolie and Halle Berry to lead an action thriller. So that that sounds good. I don't really know exactly what it means. But um, but uh, yes, I am all for that. Let me just see what it's about. It's a Warner Brothers movie. Uh, it's an action movie directed by Roseanne Liang. From a screenplay written by Scott Mosier. What, Lee Scott Mosier? As in Kevin Smith's producing partner? That's interesting. Um, and it's going to be like a Bond versus Bourne-esque global action thriller. There you go. Here for it. Absolutely here for it. Sold, sold, sold. Okay. Well, that is it for this week's movie news. Uh, unless, of course, something major happens in the next two hours, in which case we'll try and reconvene. Uh, shall we have another guest? Okay. Let's do it, yeah. Ahead of our discussion of Evil Dead Rise in the Refuse section, let us talk about dun, 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 Evil Dead Rise and Evil Dead, the whole Evil Dead franchise, in fact, with one of its co-creators, my beloved possessed goat boy, the greatest director of all time and the director of the greatest movie of all time, Evil Dead 2. It is, of course, Sam Raimi. I am very, very excited to have Sam back in the podcast. It's been far too long. 
2013, I believe was the last time he was on the podcast, for All the Great and Powerful. We we did manage wow. to get him for Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Uh, but anyway, we do have him for Evil Dead Rise, uh, which he is executive producer of, and of course, which continues the story of the Book of the Dead, the Necronomicon Ex Mortis, or the Naturo Dumbontum, depending on your depending on which film you're watching basically or or which mood you're in it was an absolute delight and a pleasure to talk to Sam Raimi who is a lovely earnest straight ahead straight shooter of a guy very very polite unfailingly polite and uh, wants to give lots of credit to his colleagues uh, but with a lovely impish sense of humour as you might expect uh, we talk mainly about Evil Dead Rise in this interview but it's me so I had to talk about Evil Dead too, and of course I had to mention that it's the greatest movie ever made. So here we go. Uh, here's me talking to Sam Raimi. Do please enjoy. We are delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by the executive producer of Evil Dead Rise, but the 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 grand the granddaddy of the Evil Dead, Sam Raimi. How are you, sir? I'm feeling a little old as the granddaddy. <laughs> I say granddaddy, but I don't mean grandfather. <laughs> no way, Sam. Yes, I, I did start those Evil Dead movies years ago, and it has been 40-some years now. So I guess the title is earned. I, I, I guess it is. I guess it is. Uh, but it's been it's been a while. It's been a while since we had an Evil Dead movie. Obviously, we had Ash versus Evil Dead in between the Fede Alvarez movie and now Lee's movie. But in that time, were you actively trying to get an, another Evil Dead movie off the ground? No. Bruce... Campbell, Rob Tappert, and myself were not really trying to do that. We loved Fetty's film, his uh, version of The Evil Dead, made in 2000, uh, 2013. Yeah. And we'd hoped that Fetty would make a sequel, but he was um, so busy with his other films and so successful that I think it just got a little bit on, on the back burner. But then I think we realized that Fetty just had uh, bigger fish to fry. And so we started to think about who would be the next writer director that could take uh take on the evil dead but we didn't want to make it public we were just really looking for a great artist quietly in the background and um people that i work with rommel adam uh zainab azizi told me about this great film and i saw hole in the ground and it really spoke of a great craftsman that is lee um our director lee cronin and i felt uh i really wanted to meet the guy so we had a lunch and we talked about what he was interested in. And he said he really liked the Evil Dead movies. So I thought, good, that's like very important that he he brought it up. I love that. You know, I've spoken to Lee as well. And, you know, he was saying that, yeah, it's very much a case that he brought it up towards the end of your meeting. Was that the case where you have your meetings with other directors and not bringing Evil Dead up in the hope that maybe they would bring it up? Was that, was that how, how it worked for a while? Not, I wasn't really having meetings with directors hoping they would bring up the Evil Dead. I was um, just looking for a really great craftsman who I connected with on a personal level and felt I could trust the uh, franchise so that to take the for them to take the next step in the franchise. Mm. And uh, I, I love what Lee has done with it. I, I think it's an absolutely tremendous, tremendous take on the on on the Evil Dead. But I have to say, Sam, as well, did you ever? think that you have maybe the perfect director for an Evil Dead movie sitting right under your nose, i.e. yourself? Was that something that ever crossed your mind? You're funny. Do you mean to make the next installment of Evil Dead? Yes, yes. Well, I love working with Bruce Campbell. And 
and Rob Tappert. And um, the idea that I could work with Bruce again would have been incredible. But um, because Bruce had done the series, really for a lot of different directors, with a lot of different directors, um, I, I read that he had hung up his chainsaw. I read that online. I went, oh, I guess there goes my opportunity. But if, if I could have done it with Bruce, because he's such a good friend of mine, and it's such a personal, friendly experience working with him, I would have definitely done it. Well, you never know. You never know. Never say never, right? That's right. Except when you just said never say never. <laughs> you should never say never say never. And then like it, it, gets, <laughs> it gets confusing after a while. <laughs> Who knows where we, where we end up. But uh, Lee obviously has this incredible pitch and you know, he... He brings a lot to the movie. Uh, it's not just about a change in location. It's not just about a focus, a, a different focus in in heroes. You know, he has this focus on a family unit this time around, and brings children into the picture as well, which I thought was really interesting. A terrible, terrible man. He's a terrible, terrible human being, and nobody is safe uh, <laughs> as long as he's around. But from your point of view, what else did he bring to to the Evil Dead? That, that made it different from what you had done? Well, he really is a very good writer and I was never a good writer. So he understands character and he understood that the real um, potential in the Evil Dead movies were that these demonic spirits take over your friends and loved ones and turn them against you. So he took that idea and he came up with the idea that it would be about a family because what better unit of love between people could there be than that? And therefore, the possibilities of turning them against each other, you know, the dramatic implications of that would mm -hmm. be tenfold what they were with just a bunch of friends at a cabin or another location. So he used his skills as a storyteller to recognize what was could be most effective given our our, our brand of monsters and the way they, they worked. Uh, and obviously you weren't on set, but you were watching you were watching dailies coming through because he was shooting down in New Zealand. Uh, was right. there was there a moment or a, or a particular I don't know whether a particular day or a particular scene that made you think oh yes we're in safe hands here this this feels like a like an Evil Dead movie. I was first impressed by the quality of the performances that he got from Lily Sullivan, Alyssa Sutherland, and um, all the actors. So when that when those dailies came through, I was watching thinking. This is going to be incredibly effective, even though I haven't seen the horror yet. Mm -hmm. Just the reality of the people and the investment in them that he made was um, very unusual for a horror film. And I thought that is really going to pay off. And but of course, then when I saw the makeup and the makeup tests early on before the dailies, I really felt that he had nailed the Evil Dead feeling while still updating it and making it his own thing. Yeah, it's interesting. For for example, the uh, the eyes are different this time around. You you used to go with kind of opaque white eyes for your deadites, and and Lee's gone with a sort of yellowish tinge. Uh, it's which 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 intrigued me. Yeah, he's trying to make it his own, and he certainly did in so many more important ways than that. But yes, he wanted a unique feel to his deadites, and and he created that very well with his makeup team and his uh, production designers and. Uh, concept artist. He he really is um, not just a great writer, but he's a great director. He knows how to lead a crew. And then he knows the effect of the camera, which is really the one of the most important aspects of making an Evil Dead movie, I think, which is um, 
you've got to paint a picture of the supernatural and you've got to leave a lot of negative space for the audience to put their own um, visions and dreams and nightmares into the thing. And, and the camera really helps in describing, it can help in describing that which is unseen, that which exists beyond our world. Hmm. And, and Lee understands that and um, in his own way, different than me, but he um, is an artist with a camera. And I think that was one of the most important things that made the movie so that makes the movie so effective. I think one of the interesting things about this movie is, and in fact, Fede's movie as well, is that they both, I think, hew closer to the tone and the spirit of the first Evil Dead movie, which is this, you know, the ultimate experience in grueling terror. It is this very gnarly, very nasty, unrelenting horror film. And obviously that's a tone you began to move away from in Evil Dead 2 and, and, and almost completely then for Army of Darkness. Was that something that you talked about with, with both Fede and Lee? about a, a return to that tone in, in a way? Um, it wasn't even me directing them to a particular tone. It was talking with Rob Tappert, Bruce Campbell, uh, Rommel Adam about what type of movie he wanted to make of, of an Evil Dead movie. And when he gave us his ideas, they seemed, yes, that's more like the first Evil Dead, but I didn't guide him there. I, I don't think that we wanted to make a humorous version of Evil Dead this time around. I, I think that came about because Bruce and I, in high school, had always made Super 8 movies that were just comedies. And um, when we went to make our horror film, we had to kind of, Evil Dead 1, put a straight face on and be as serious, pretend serious as possible to scare the audience. But that really wasn't our thing. We're comedians. And um, when we got a chance to make Evil Dead 2 and Ash was the only survivor, we felt a little more comfortable in our own skins and started to add some of what we really do best is, which is a little bit of the lighter comedy into the thing. And even more so in an insane dumb, dumbbell way in army of darkness. <laughs> so I think that came out of my relationship with Bruce for a lifetime of comedy. And we didn't want to force that artificially on any film artist who was trying to make an evil dead film. Had they a great comedian, yeah, they had worked with and they told us they wanted to take on that tone. I, I think we would have been, I would have been doubtful probably, but knowing Lee, I, I'm sure I would have been rewarded. Absolutely. I mean, uh, I, I'm glad you brought up Evil Dead 2 there, Sam, or maybe I brought it up, one of us brought it up anyway, because uh, uh, regular listeners to this podcast will will know uh, of my feelings on Evil Dead 2 in particular. I, I'm a huge fan of this franchise. Sam, I'm not going to embarrass you by saying that I think it's the greatest movie of all time. You just embarrass me. Oh, you're oh, not going to say that. I'm not going to say that, so don't worry. That's that's off the table. That is off the table, so I'm not going to say that. But, wow. <laughs> but if I were to think that, it would mean that I would have to ask about it. And, you know, talking about Bruce and his performance is, is incredible. Directing Bruce Campbell must be one thing. Directing Bruce Campbell's possessed hand must be something else entirely. What was that experience like for you? Well, that's Bruce is just such a great physical comedian. And that was my experience working with him with my high school pals, Scott Spiegel, Bill Kirk, John Cameron, Josh Becker. We, we would make um, Super 8 movies and they were all always all slapstick. So that was all of our training. So it's more like uh, Bruce was unleashed to do his thing finally. 
in Evil Dead 2. And it was a pleasure and it was funny to watch him and great to collaborate with him. And we'd both crack up after the takes, you know, unless Bruce was like bleeding from the harm he had done to himself. But it was uh, an absolute joy to work with Bruce. He's a great guy and um, can, uh, can really make you laugh. He's a really funny guy. Besides his physical comedy, he's got a great wit about him. On set of that movie, who was making the, uh, did anyone make the noises for the hand as was possessed? Or was that something, I mean, obviously you added it in post, but on set, were you making noises for the hand to help Bruce with his, with his performance? Um, I didn't make noises when he was doing it because I didn't want to disturb him or, or ruin the soundtrack. I wanted to have a clean recording of his grunts and gasps. Didn't want to have to loop them in post-production. But in, in the, the ADR, the dialogue uh, replacement part of a movie making, mm -hmm. I did a lot of the sounds of the hand myself and <laughs> stuff like that. I, I hope you have the good taste to remove that from your podcast. But <laughs> if not, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> good taste and I are a strange bedfellow, Sam. Okay, then. <laughs> what can I say? What can I say? Um, and obviously, we've, we've talked a, a, a lot about how you know, there, there obviously there was a ten-year gap between Fede's movie and this movie. There was a twenty-year gap between Army of Darkness and and Evil Dead. Was that a situation where, when Army of Darkness wrapped and you began to go off and you began to spread your wings, you know, making you know Quick and the Dead and For Love of the Game and The Gift and obviously then into the Spider-Man movies? Was there a point where you uh, you almost couldn't envisage someone else making an Evil Dead movie? Did you feel? territorial about it? Did you feel almost proprietorial about it as a director? I think it was two things. That was one of them is like, um, I, that's what Bruce and I do. And how, how would we give that to somebody else to do? Yeah, it, it, it didn't quite add up. So I guess territorial is, 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 is the right word. Um, didn't understand how someone could move on with that. Because it seemed like it was all about Bruce's magic, you know, or, or absurd nonsense, whatever you want to call it. But I didn't know how somebody else was going to go forward with that without our relationship, without Bruce starring in it. And I know that Bruce really wanted to do it with me. And I thought that it was in my past. I just would go forward making different types of pictures, trying to develop as a director, trying to grow and learn about the craft of filmmaking. And those movies, by the way, were never successful. None of them really made money when they were opened in the theaters. They cost us a tremendous amount of time and our personal money. And it didn't seem like the kind of thing that you'd go back and make a fourth one after you've made three that were basically unsuccessful in the theaters. Hmm. Um, so there was no real demand for it, I thought. But then when I, by the time I got to make Spider-Man and Spider-Man 2 with Tobey Maguire and Kirsten Dunst and a bunch of great producers, um, I'd be talking about the movies and people would say, that's great, but when is the next Evil Dead movie coming out? And I'd think, what? I, I don't understand. Isn't that over with? And I, I thought that they were, it, it didn't make any sense to me. And then I finally opened my ears and thought, I guess they want another Evil Dead movie. If they, they, These kids won't shut up. So um, I just felt, okay, we'll get the best filmmaker we can find and we'll start developing a Evil Dead movie, and that will be the end of it. And so we got Fede Alvarez, and he did such a brilliant job. I love his movie, I, and he was such a pleasure to work with. He's a great guy. He's a personal friend of mine, so I might be biased, but 
the audience seemed to really dig that also. And so we that's when I think Rob Bruce and I realized, oh, this is so much bigger than just Bruce and I doing our shtick. They they the audience likes these Evil Dead movies. So we made a, a we were hoping Fetty would write a sequel, but he was on and off to greater and bigger things. And um so my brother and I wrote a pilot for Ash vs. Evil Dead, hoping that would quiet the fans. And then the, that ran for three seasons and Bruce put his all into it. And um, I never expected to make another Evil Dead movie, but there was uh, a small but vocal crowd that did enjoy that. And it was a very small crowd, but they were insistent. So now we're in the business of listening and um, trying to find the best filmmakers we can, the, the most talented visualists and people who are also great writers. And now we're actively going to make some Evil Dead movies. This is for the first time since since never. Wow. Uh, well, I'm, I'm very, very excited. Very excited indeed. And, and Sam, I know, I know I have to let you go. Um, I have to ask about Ash. Without giving too much away, I know there is a moment in the film where Bruce appears we won't we won't say where it is or or in what form but uh lee told me recently that in his head he thinks that that bruce cam uh, cameo could be ash so (laughs) are you are are you open to to that are you open to to bringing bruce back and hand at all as ash yeah i'm always open to that and um i've i want to please the fans that the fans in London gave us our start. Nobody would touch the movie. And Bruce and I were very down along with Rob Tappert, all very depressed that we couldn't sell our movie. And it was Palace Pictures in in London with Stephen Woolley and Nick Powell, who uh, who gave us our chance and uh, released the film through Palace Pictures. And um, after that, I think after reaching the the depths of despair of failure in the filmmaking business, and then having somebody give us a chance, I think anything is possible. I really do believe that, and especially in this nutty business of show business. So um, I do believe Bruce um, and I could work together again, and, and I'd love to, I love him, and I'm constantly uh, communicating with him as a friend and a creative partner. Amazing. Uh, by the way, I, I hosted the other night, I hosted uh, a couple of Q&As with Lee at the Prince Charles Cinema, which I know was a big film for you guys whenever The Evil Dead was getting off the ground over here. It was. What a what a great theatre. And is it still in its, all its glory as it was many years ago? I think they've upgraded the seats and they've washed the floors, but otherwise it's pretty much the same. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah, that is a beautiful theatre and, and that always drew the coolest crowds, the most hip individuals the most outrageous people and like the just free thinkers i remember thinking that that when evil dead played there that this would never be met with the same positive reaction as it was in um, the united states at our test screenings oh well it, yeah it, it 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 played incredibly the other day and in, in front of an audience it was it was great lee told me at one point again not to give too much away but we left uh after the the first introduction and he said Let's stick around. I want to see how they react to the scalping. Uh, and uh, and they went nuts. They went nuts for the scalping. What can I say, Sam? We're sickos. <laughs> Thank you for your sickness. You gave me my chance. <laughs> Indeed. And then just real quick, real quick. Um, what does the future hold for, for both you and the Evil Dead franchise? It's been 
a year now, pretty much, since Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Uh, can we expect to see you behind the camera calling the shots again on something soon? I'd really like to. Um, looking for, I'm, I'm writing with my brother. I'm looking for a good script, something that I think I could be additive to, uh, something I could bring something to, and um, that rings to me like the audience would really be thrilled with this. Well, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed something like that comes your way. And Lee was telling me that he has tentative plans put in place for uh, two more films. Is that is that your hope? I'd love to work with Lee again in any capacity. He's really a professional and a really nice guy and a fantastic filmmaker to uh, to learn from. That's what you do as a producer when you watch these dailies come in. You think, oh, my God, I never would have thought to tell the actor that. And look what look what he got from it because you listen to a lot of what's going on behind the scenes with the microphones running and rolling and you watch the directors direct and lee's a great director so yes i think i'd love to work with him on uh, almost any project that he really believed in amazing amazing uh well sam it's been a pleasure as always and uh thanks so much for your time thanks so much have a great day okay so that was sam raimi and now let's talk about Evil Dead Rise. It is time for the reviews section. Uh, Jimbo, have you seen Evil Dead Rise? I have not. I have not because I took a stand and refused to see it. Because, frankly, I don't have the constitution for it. Like, Helen has seen it, and I saw Helen's face when she came out of the screening of this, and she looked like she had been to the other side, and not in a good way. And I just genuinely, I was just like, there was a bit, there was a lovely screening. It was at Batsy Power Station, which I've never been to, the screening there. I was quite excited to go to that. And I just thought, do you know what? I just don't think I've got the fortitude to watch this film. Someone said the words cheese grater to me, and I'm like, nope, that's it, I'm out. I'm out. I'm done. I can't do it. My honestly, my my ability to withstand nasty horror has has dwindled. I think as I've got older, and I just did. I just didn't think I was up to it. So I was I was too scared. Was what I'm saying. I was too scared to watch Evil Dead Rise. Oh, Freddy can't die. Yeah, I was I was too afraid. You'll watch limbs being lopped off and Vikings, and you'll, <laughs> you'll right. watch people being stabbed left, right, and front in Red Dwarf. But you won't. You. <laughs> I know. I was uh, a big old scaredy cat, and I couldn't yeah. do it decapitations galore in Star Trek Picard but no you, you stick him in <laughs> you stick him in an Evil Dead movie and he runs a mile it's true yeah you've missed out you have missed out but I mean Helen, Helen be honest like no. how would I have this would have this I, would have done me yeah, in right I disrecommended it to you yeah. I would I would disrecommend it to all Freddy Cats and everyone <laughs> who doesn't like children in peril situations however it's a freaking fantastic scary movie like it is a brilliant scary movie so it's obviously Lee Cronin directing Sam Raimi, of course, producing, still there, giving it his, you know, his sign off, as it were. Um, but yeah, it's it's the story of Beth, uh, Lily Sullivan's character, who comes to visit her sister, um, which is Elisa Sutherland's Ellie, and uh, Ellie's kids uh, in their apartment in LA. Beth is struggling with some decisions that she has to make in her own life, and uh, and is kind of coming to her sister for advice. But she finds her sister overworked, overwhelmed, already dealing with her own shit, kind of just trying to keep it together, and. Um, and that's before, uh, you know, the kids go downstairs exploring and find something that they probably shouldn't have found and get involved in something they probably shouldn't have gotten involved with and uh, let loose the forces of hell in the apartment. I mean, we've all been there. I think it's very, it's very relatable in that sense. But, um, but yes, it is, it is, things get very, very bad from there on. And, and it's not just that there are, you know, horrible moments in this and a bit with the cheese grater that you've probably seen in the in the trailer and, and various kind of bits of body horror, it's also just genuinely 
incredibly tense, incredibly scary. I was at like I was like a you know a guitar string or something the entire way through going what's going to happen now there's going to be something scary in a minute if nothing scary was happening at that second you knew that there was going to be something scary any other second so you're just sitting there the whole time incredibly tense just waiting for it to happen and i i feel like on the on the evil dead scale this very much comes in at the scarier end of the spectrum i feel like there is some humor in it and i did laugh at times but not enough to stop me being fucking terrified um but it's not it's certainly you know it's certainly more evil dead or evil dead 2 than it is army of darkness like that that's a very very clear, clear oh, it's, difference. it's not even evil dead 2 it's not you know it's evil dead 2 is this this that's true yeah very, evil dead more isn't it gonzo yeah comedy horror i would say army of darkness is full on comedy uh with with now and again it remembers that just meant to be an evil dead movie and, and throws one in just to keep people like me happy uh but no, this is this is a full on Evil Dead movie. Although it, it is it is it's got this sort of sick sense of humor. Uh, I would say more so than Fede Alvarez's Evil Dead, mm. which was ten years ago, which is pretty good. It wasn't. I mean, we we liked that movie as well, or certainly I did. Well, I went back and revisited it recently because I remember it being. It, it's a very it's an unrelenting movie, mm. and, and tonally, it's so dark. It is so dark. There's no levity. There's levity, but there's no levity in that movie at all. Uh, but there is levity. There here, is, yeah. it yeah. does have a twisted sense of humor that that Evil Dead doesn't. And actually, if you go back to the first Evil Dead, Sam Raimi's uh, the first Evil Dead, which is a you know obviously it's a very very lo-fi and chunky and DIY and all that stuff. And then you know the last five minutes is a plasticine orgy, uh, <laughs> essentially, and the effects aren't great and it's a little bit slapdash and amateurish at times. But this this has much more in common with that than it does with the other the other mm. films in the franchise. Lee Cronin himself actually thinks there is more Evil Dead Two DNA in in there. Oh, yeah. But for me, it's definitely the Evil, Evil Dead. Dead. Yeah. DNA because it is bleak, it is unrelenting, it is grim, it is nasty, and bad things happen to good people. Yeah, and I feel like it shows Cronin's huge knowledge of horror generally. I feel like there are obviously there are obvious nods to other films, one of which like everyone's already talked about in the reviews, but there is a nod to The Shining, for example. Um, but but at the same time, like it's it does feel Evil Daddy, even though they've gotten away from the cabin, they've gotten away from the sort of the visual language of of a lot of that. Um, it still feels Evil Daddy. There is a scene at the beginning with a different group of people in a cabin, so you still get that hit. Huh. If that's what you're looking for, a bit of cabin porn, it's there. But, um, <laughs> but Although if you're going to Evil Dead movies for your cabin porn, you're doing it way wrong. Yeah, so it was really good. I also want to mention the kids. I think the kids in this, the, the, ch the child performances were fantastic. God knows how they kept them safe on set. I'm sure it was a fascinating conversation basically daily to keep those kids engaged and 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 you know protected especially Nell Nell Fisher who's the youngest uh, of the kids but uh, Gabriel Eccles and Morgan Davies who are the two sort of teenagers um in the family I thought were absolutely fantastic really really great performances from them I hope it leads to big things but yeah look I was just I was just terrified I was absolutely terrified I was amused at times and I was I was surprised often by the turns and the twists that it took but it is terrific, but it's not for everyone. By everyone, you mean me. It's not By for everyone, me. I mean you. And honestly, I mean never watching it again myself. Like, I mean, yeah. I am, I'm very pleased that I saw it and I'm not sure when I'm going to have the constitutional fortitude to watch it again. Um, yeah. But I hope I do someday. I've seen it, I've seen it in three different three three different times now, and each in a slightly different way. So the first time I saw this was completely on my own. 
uh, I mean, completely on my own. And it still, it still worked for me. Yeah. I was in a screen room on my own. And, uh, uh, and that was at one point, like a gust of wind, like a little draft blew on me. And I was like, oh, shit, that's not good. Like, you, you look around. Is there a dead eye? No. Is it Bruce Campbell? No, it's not. Uh, second time was on a computer, which is you know, obviously not great, but it still worked. Then the third time was with an, was with an audience. I, you know, full disclosure, I did a couple of Q&As with, with Lee Cronin last week, as, as mentioned in the Sam Raimi interview, and uh, at the Prince Charles in London. And as we were doing the second, after we did the second introduction, uh, we were walking out the uh, the door and Lee turned to me and said, oh, wait, I want to stay for the scalping and <laughs> and just see how it goes so down in an audience and watching it, watching it with an audience. There's, you know, it, it is dark. It is violent. It's extremely violent. It's extremely mm. bloody. And again, bad things happen to good people. But Jimbo you would like it because it's also mm. got its crowd pleasing moments and it's mm. got its punch the air moments and it's you know uh it's it's interesting because i think it's the first proper evil dead movie that has taken it away from obviously there's only been two without bruce campbell and without ash but it's the first one i think to really properly invoke the spirit of ash without feeling like a retread mm. of ash in See, a way army of darkness remains my favorite evil dead partly because i think i saw the first evil dead when i was obviously far too young to see it and the effect it had on me was really quite severe like because it is a really really nasty film and i don't think i was quite prepared for how unpleasant it was going to be watching that and and to this day like i like scary horrors i like psychological horrors i do not like sadism in films and i don't like nasty nasty stuff in horror yeah. films like that it just really affects me so it's yeah it's definitely not one that i have the fortitude for there we go but you would like it because there's a lot of aliens in this dna as well a lot that's, of that's aliens. that's actually true yeah there, there's yeah in his DNA. It's basically like Lee Cronin has shoved an Evil Dead movie, Aliens, and Demons 2 into a blender. I've seen Demons 2. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but less less overtly comedic than Demons 2, but it, yeah. it does have some of the same the same stuff going on. I loved it. I thought it was terrific. You know, regular listeners will know I have a soft spot for these movies, and this is, this is for me this is my, the second best Evil Dead movie. Uh, so, After Army of Darkness. Yeah. After Army of Darkness, yeah. of course, which is actually the fourth best Evil Dead movie. <laughs> uh, so there we go. Four stars then for Evil Dead Rise. 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 Next we come to a film called Ghosted, which could also have been the title for Evil Dead Rise, I'm guessing. Uh, I'm guessing? You, I guessing, <laughs> I guessing? I'm guessing it could. I spec. <laughs> the ability to ghost does not make you intelligent. <laughs> so this is the first film post-Rocketman for Dexter Fletcher, mm. and it teams Chris Evans and Anna de Armas for the third time. Third time, so they were in Knives Out, yes. a Benoit Blanc mystery uh, together, <laughs> and they were in The Grey Man together as well. So they've kind of been adversarial, shall we say, in both of those movies, but this time they're getting it on. Boom, chicka, wow, wow. Yeah, that's the plot of the film. Yeah, mm. um, <laughs> I, I'll be honest, I passed out after their lovemaking scene. Uh, I, just, I just assumed the rest was just wall-to-wall -wall fucking. Uh, no, of course not. But uh, uh, James, you've seen this one. I have seen this, this one. This is the film yes. you've seen. So this is the film I've seen. <laughs> I was not traumatised by this one. It was nasty, obviously, but not in that way. Just what in about the, the cheese grater scene? Did you, no, <laughs> did you, no. did you like that? I must admit, they caught me by surprise. <laughs> Let's talk about this one. What happens in Ghosted and, and who does it happen to? And is it worth seeing? Well, this is, of course, an Apple film. And uh, it stars Chris Evans 
as a lonely farmer who can't get a girlfriend. But wait, wait, come back, come back, come back. I know suspension of disbelief is difficult, so just bear with me, bear with me. He, uh, while working his little farm, so while selling his uh, his dairy goods. That wasn't a euphemism. <laughs> he's literally working a farm stall. Uh, he's selling goods at the market, and he comes across steady, steady, steady come on now, a young woman called Sadie uh, who wants to buy a plant. Uh, he ultimately unwillingly sells her a plant, and the two of them go for a walk. They spend a lovely day together, and yes, they end up in the bed under the sheets having the sex um and it's lovely for him he hasn't had a girlfriend in a long time he's been very very lonely so he does what all people would do he spams her with needy text messages driving <laughs> her away and she completely ghosts him as with the title but not one to be deterred because as we said very unattractive man can't get a girlfriend he decides since he knows where she's going for reasons he decides to surprise her by going to london which is where she is because she's an quote-unquote art curator he decides to surprise her in london so he turns up in london uh-huh. promptly gets abducted by henchmen and finds out that she oh. is an international super spy oh. hijinks we've then all been there into you. yeah it is i mean we, it does seem to be as you pointed out in your review helen the plot of every romance in hollywood that there is a significant chance that whoever you fancy will turn out to be a secret spy but the thing with this and i know i know you didn't maybe enjoy it as much as maybe i enjoyed it but i found because Chris Evans and Anna de Armas are both so inherently, obviously attractive, but just very, very charming. I was carried along purely by the kind of I love you, I hate you thing that they have going on all the way through this film. And it's a lot of fun. I do think... And this is, this is an interesting one. So there's a there's a show that I can't actually review on Monday's Pilot because it's embargoed. But the, this show reminded me a lot of this film. I think they have a lot of things in common. MasterChef. Uh, it was MasterChef, the professional setup, right? But I think the thing with this that threw me slightly is it, it's, it's totally uneven. Like, at times, it feels like it's a light-hearted action comedy, and at times, it feels like it's a full-on nonsense slapstick spy caper. And it's almost like it quite, can't quite decide what line it wants to walk. So it starts very much in the former camp, and then gets progressively sillier and sillier as it goes. And it ends in this absolutely deranged set piece, which makes no sense according to the laws of, you know, plots or physics. But, and, and and also, I should point out, there is a running gag involving cameos in this, which just didn't work for me at all. But oh, despite all me. of that, despite all of that, I really like them. And I quite enjoyed the film. And I thought, it, you know, it gave me the warm and fuzzies. And I, I thought I thought it was okay. So, I, you know, it's not, it's not a masterpiece. It's not. But I thought, I thought it was quite good. I quite liked it. Helen, you gave us two stars. Why did you not like the nice film with the pretty people who tried to find a nice man <laughs> with the big hair? I, look, I... I I did want to like it. I expected to like it. I really, really did. Um, obviously, you know, two beautiful people, uh, both of whom I, I think highly of as performers. I think they're charismatic as well as gorgeous and, and talented. I just, I, I find him fundamentally miscast. I think he is absolutely the wrong person to play that role. <laughs> I think that's fair. Um, so but I'm I, glad I, he did play it. I, yeah, look, I, I, I get why he would want to. I yeah. just don't think he can. Should it have been me? It, it should have been you, yes. It would have been more realistic. Yes, more realistic that Chris would have somehow wooed Anna de Armas. Yes, that is 100%, that is completely realistic. 100% realistic. It's <laughs> very realistic. You've seen Fallout. That is realistic. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's uh, yeah, the, it's the the rest. I just, so I had a bit of a problem with that. And, and I find, I, I just think he's got too much innate confidence for you to buy him as this 
fish out of water, this guy mm. who's perpetually at sea in this film. So I had a bit of a problem with that. I agree about the tone. I think the tone is all over the place. Um, I, I find the cameos fun, but again, tonally, completely. Yeah, that, but I think that was my issue. It pulled me out of the story because I'm like, this is just silly. Yeah, and, and the running joke about her exes, what was that? That was, again, know. super silly. Again, that's almost naked gun territory. Like, yeah. it was properly silly. Uh, and then and then I, I think she's wearing a wig and I find it distracting. Uh, it's it's a very it's not a good wig. Um and, Do you and think it's I just, a wig? I don't think it's a wig. I, it's a wig. As if as the hair the, expert on this podcast. If you look at the parting. <laughs> you sound like uh, Mahoney in Police Academy. Wig alert, <laughs> wig alert. Wig alert. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Helen was doing. I that cannot already, say so. with the utter confidence no. that you have right now that that is a wig. I, I, I think Helen I has far more hair than both of us combined. I think she is probably the expert. I didn't. I didn't notice. It. I thought it was just like highlights. James, but the amount of hair that you have does not make you an expert on hair. Oh yeah, no, she's getting trolled for her wig and has been getting trolled since the trailer came out. So, but all of it isn't a wig. Like everyone thought that Andy Circus's hair. That's in true. Luther and I was a accused wig. him of that on stage at the live podcast to be told wasn't that a wig. it was not in fact a wig. Yes, the person who's more likely to be wearing a wig and ghosted is Chris Evans. What if he's what if he's absolutely bald <gasps> and that's just a very very you know a convincing wig? Literally, there there are tweets going, "Is the wig that bad on purpose?" <laughs> I mean, like it's not. I'm not alone here. I'm not on my own. It, just because people think it is, it doesn't mean it is. Okay. I feel like we're getting hung up on the wig <laughs> because it's a wig. Why would it be a wig? She's got hair. hair We've all seen her hair. Time. But it doesn't have to be long. Why does her hair have to be long? She could have Good had short question. hair. They could have just given used her hair, but they didn't. They used a wig. She's an attractive lady. She's she can a have very short attractive hair. lady. Yes, she could have. I, well, I'm sorry. I, this, this, this is this is wigaganda. I, yeah. I can't, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't. I'm out. I'm out. Wow. Five stars I, to the wig. Two stars to Ghosted. <laughs> I don't. This is a perfectly. This is a fun film, Helen. Well, why? You know. It was a high two. It it was yeah. a high two. There was. It's not that I didn't get any enjoyment from it, but I cannot, in good conscience, recommend it over not recommending it. Do you know what I mean? I, it's not. And I I like a big stupid action movie. I do. I had a good time at The Grey Man. I had less so I. of a good time at this. Yeah, I had more time at The Grey Man. The Grey Man is, is unabashed fun, but The Grey Man, I think, knows what it is, and it's tonally even all the way through. Uh, this this just seems to jump about a little bit. One thing I, I thought about this was that uh, I don't think The Grey Man is the film you compare it to. I think what you compare it to is The Lost City, or you compare it mm, to yeah, sure. uh, even Shotgun Wedding, which came out in January. Mm. And I think perhaps the screenplay... I just think the screenplay needed an extra draft yeah. just to, to punch up the singers a little bit yeah. to make sure that the, the chemistry the, the the crackling back and forth didn't crackle for me in this yeah. uh, and there's some really I think there's some good sequences I I, I laughed at the cameo palooza yeah. that we get uh, have right uh, through I thought that was a very very funny idea and it was actually well executed there's a kind of jarring blend of real location work on actual locations and then not so great green yeah, screen work yeah. very true and the blending of the two doesn't always work mm. for me yes uh, it made me excited for ballerina though because mm. she has the moves and i thought she was very very convincing as a super spy so she does have the moves she yeah. does indeed have the moves two stars then for ghosted uh and just very very quickly as well helen you saw missing this week i did see missing yeah this is uh in the vein of searching a couple of years ago the john cho movie it's a sequel to searching isn't it well, yeah, but it's not, a spiritual sequel. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't share a lot of characters, but it's the same idea. Everything is on screen. Uh, you're basically watching um, June, uh, played by Storm Reed. June, um, Storm Reed's coming, Annie. Better get home quick. <laughs> you don't have to hide at home from her. She's a good actress. Uh, but yeah, so she is basically a, a, a 18 year old kind of you know 
chomping at the bit to, to get away from her overprotective single mother, Grace, who's played by Nia Long. Uh, but Grace is away. She's going away for a week with her new boyfriend, Kevin, played by Ken Lung, and uh, they're going to Columbia. And Grace is, gonna, uh, Grace is leaving June at home, and she's basically deciding to party it up. Until... Grace doesn't come back when she's supposed to. The, the flight lands, uh, oh. but she is not aboard. And um, and June is left trying to figure out what on earth has happened to her mum. Where has she been? Where has she gone? Um, and uh, and try and put the pieces together of uh, of her disappearance. So we're seeing this all basically through her computer screen. We're seeing it through you know FaceTime calls, just FaceTime being on in the background. So the camera, the, the laptop camera is on. Um, you know, there's a bit of security security footage at time. Clever use of that. There's Task Rabbit's use where she tries to uh, recruit somebody in Colombia to go and look for her mum and figure out what's happened. Um, it's cleverly done. It, I think, if anything, it, it actually justifies the whole you know screen usage maybe a little better than searching did. But it has the same kind of um, mm. you know tension and it has the same kind of propulsiveness. Um, it's it's takes place over a slightly longer period than Searching did, but it, it still manages to feel propulsive. The, the one thing I would say is that I guessed a couple of major plot developments in uh -oh. this, did and you? I'm not usually that good at that, so I feel like See, some I didn't things at were all. maybe... Really? Yeah, I guessed nothing. Oh, okay. It had me at every turn, and it twists and turns a lot. A lot, and yeah. I was, I, was, I was yanked by the nose through all of them. Oh well then, okay. So that's that's good, um, but I, I did think it worked even then. And you know, great performance from from Reed, and obviously mm. a great performance from Long, who's always fantastic. But yeah, it was it was it was pretty tense there. Do you at know the what? End. It's like the, the whole screen life thing. It seems a bit like an eye rolling kind of conceit. It feels like a gimmick. And I think what works for me about this film is if this hadn't used a, this sort of that that particular format i think it still works like i think mm. the story is strong enough that it stands on its own and i genuinely really enjoyed uh the way they shot this like there are, there's a part where she shuts down or she's going to shut down her mac and they managed to make a cursor hovering over a shutdown button incredibly tense and they use really inventive ways of keeping the kind of conceit the screen life conceit going where she buys a watch that has a camera in it so we can follow her about there's security cameras there's and i mean obviously she keeps her laptop on all the time which is terrible for the environment but sure so we can see what you're doing and I, I thought it was wonderful, and I think there's something about the evolution from having John Cho's character in Searching, who's like a middle-aged man, to a native Zoomer who eats, sleeps, and breathes connectivity, yeah. and it feels so organic that, of course, she does everything digitally because she's of the generation that does do everything digitally, and it doesn't feel contrived, and I think that was the big thing for me. It didn't feel false. It didn't mm. feel contrived, and I, I, it just felt like a very active thing, although after this film finished, I was extremely pleased to just go outside and not be fun. I don't know. It made me want to disconnect is what it did. Sounds great. Uh, and uh, one to watch at home, perhaps, when you can zoom in and everything and see all the different clues. Because in searching, there was various things that implied that there was also some sort of alien invasion happening at the same time. Yeah, uh, I did want I to read. Right I read now. some of the Chirons, the news Chirons, as I went past. But I really wanted to have more time and read more of those because there were some quite yeah. funny things going on in the background. All right. Four stars then for Missing, which mm -hmm. we should say is directed by Will Merrick and Nick Johnson. Finally, we have a live-action adaptation of the animated classic Dog Tanyon and the Three Musca Hounds. <laughs> Helen, it's exciting, isn't it? You are a monster. Uh, look, what has happened here? <laughs> Musca Hounds are always ready. Look, I love it too, but a little bit of respect here. Alexandre Dumas' classic novel um, has been adapted many, uh, uh, many times. I think it's Alexandre Dumas. Many, many times through the years. For my money, this might be the best. It is certainly the best since the Richard Lester one in the 70s. 
And honestly, it might be better. I think this is a fantastic, fantastic Musketeers adaptation. So this is the French basically taking it back and then casting a bunch of superstars um, in a sort of Avengers-esque, you know, lineup uh, to make it exciting and good. So you've got Vincent Cassel, uh, Romain Dury, and Pio Marmaille as the Musketeers themselves, as Athos, Aramis, and Porthos, respectively. You have Francois Civil, who I didn't really know well before because I haven't watched the original Call Your Agent, but he is D'Artagnan. He is the only person I have ever seen challenge Michael York as best D'Artagnan. He is utterly fantastic. So he is basically the young kid who rides from Gascony to Paris to join the Musketeers. Along the way, on a dark and stormy night, not storm raid, he, uh, he comes upon a crime being committed uh, and it gets into a scuffle and is left behind none the wiser as to what actually has happened. But it turns out to be part of a giant conspiracy um, involving Eva Green's Milady, involving Cardinal Richelieu, played by Eric Ruff, and involving King Louis XIII, played by Louis Garrel, who people may know from Little Women. Ah, uh, where Florence Pugh dies. Yeah, in Florence, Hail of Bullets. Again, you cannot repeat these mm, incorrectnesses. <laughs> Look, um, what, what, what follows is at times very, very faithful to Dumas. So they've got things like... Uh, Basically, D'Artagnan rocking up in Paris and almost immediately getting himself involved in three duels against all three musketeers separately. He has them stacked up at like 11 noon and one o'clock, one after another. He he sticks to things like that. He sticks to Anne of Austria being involved with the Duke of Buckingham and giving him a diamond necklace and not a euphemism. Um, (laughs) He he gets involved, you know, he sticks to so many of those kind of iconic bits of the story, but he also brings out some of the real history. Um, This is when I say he, I'm talking about like director Martin Bourbillon and his team. Um, they're bringing in elements of the wars of religion. They're bringing in elements of like xenophobia and paranoia and this kind of enemy within. And, you know, we're one country under one God united. We don't trust those people who have that other religion. You know, there's, there's genuine modern resonance to this Musketeers movie, which is not something I expected when I went in. But it also delivers on big old sword fights and people jumping on galloping horses and, you know, cannons exploding and masked balls and just everyone wearing the most incredible floppy hats. It's it's an absolute joy from start to finish. I could nitpick. I could say that at times the plot is a little bit overly complicated as a result of all these new elements that they've added in. Um this is, of course, one of two planned parts. So you might argue that there's some threads left dangling at the end that you would prefer to be tied up. Just come back in December, I think it is, for the second part. But I just think it's magnificent. It's genuinely the best Musketeers movie, like I say, since at least the Lester and maybe the best ever. I oh, Flawless. Flawless? Pretty much. Wow. Apart from the confusing bits, you know. I've seen it, tw- I saw it twice in a week and I would go back and see it again in an instant. What about the action? Because I saw one person tweet uh, that the action was incoherent. I think, okay, so I think they're referring really to that opening fight in the rain, in the dark, and you can't quite tell easily who's who and what's what. And I think that's probably true. But I saw a lot of people talking about quick cutting in the other fights. And actually, the the, the most kind of... um, mind-catching, if you like, uh, fight scenes that I remember are the ones where they did a sort of fake one and they have the camera kind of following people through this little forest where they're having this brawl and going from one person to the next person to the next person. And so there wasn't a lot of quick cutting. So I was a bit confused by that criticism, to be honest, because I didn't think it was what I'd seen. Having said that, look, this was made, I think both films were $72 million total. 
So I feel like, you know, it's not as huge a budget as it looks. It looks like it's a mega huge budget, but it, it isn't. So maybe they've had to cut some corners on some of the fight scenes. But honestly, I, I thought it was pretty good. All right. So Helen would give this four stars. Quatre étoiles for, uh, for Dog Tanyon and the Three Musca Hounds. No. And I was d- delighted to see that uh, they actually have someone called, called Ruff in the cast. That's amazing. <laughs> I know, right? That's commitment to a theme. That is barking mad. Uh, all right. Well, that is it then for this week's Empire Podcast. Very, very exciting stuff indeed. Uh, this week's award-nominated Empire Podcast, by the way. That's I mentioned right. it earlier on. We should say we were unverified nominated. Unverified awards. Uh, unverified awards. We've been nominated for the uh, best podcast at the BSMEs, which is the British Society of Magazine Editors and is the uh, the Oscars of the magazine industry. Mm. I, I know I said that about the PPAs, but that's the Golden Globes of the magazine <laughs> industry. So exciting. We're not going to win, but, you know, it's nice to be nominated, right? It is. Uh, zero tucks given. Uh, let's, get our, let's get our rags on uh, for that one. Anyway, we should mention that we're going to be joined on next week's show. It's another cracking lineup of guests. We're going to be joined by the legendary Jim Broadbent and Penelope Wilton, stars of The Unlikely Pilgrimage of Harold Fry, and making a long-awaited return to the podcast, David Lowry, director of Peter Pan and Wendy, which debuts on Disney Plus next week. Can't say fairly than that, folks. Anyway, until we meet again, until then, until that auspicious occasion, it is time to say goodbye to my two colleagues of such lethal cunning. Uh, do you have funny squadcast names this week? Nope, no, simply just I James. Do. Yeah, I know, I didn't even bother. Oh. Just phoning it in, literally. <laughs> yes. Milady to Helen. Toodaloo. Toodaloo, that's what she would say. Milady to Helen, toodaloo. Milady to Helen, toodaloo. I forgot to talk about how great Eva Green is, but she's great. You know, oh, oh, she's great in everything, isn't she? I mean, she's great in everything, but like casting her as Milady, that is the most yes piece of casting in ages. How was her wig? Uh, it, good. It's mostly hidden by some fantastic hats. All right, and a dress that actually made me gasp. Because this is the truth. This is the truth, and Hollywood's been hiding this for years. Everyone in Hollywood is bald. Everybody. All of them. Filmmakers, so. actors, actresses, key grips, best boys, all of them absolutely shiny and bald and everybody wears a wig. Except, ironically, Mark Strong. <laughs> Except full head of hair. Strong. Yeah, full head of hair. He just <laughs> shaves it for rules as when <laughs> the mood takes him. Uh, it's goodbye from our very own uh, wonderful baldy, James Dyer. Goodbye. I'm going outside. This is actually doing this podcast remotely has made me feel like I'm in missing, like this is some kind of screen life <laughs> mystery. So uh, I'm going to check and see if aliens have invaded. Uh, and it is goodbye from me, Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the North, oh, general of the Felix Legions, and loyal servant to the true emperor, Marcus Aurelius, father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, employee of a murdered pope, and I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. Hewitt. Uh, thank you so much for listening. I'm off to find the guy who makes Chris Evans wig and get one made for me. See you next time. Bye-bye. The Empire Podcast would like it to be known that Chris Evans does not wear a wig.